This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused. But later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, o Christ. You may be seated. So at Bible study uh, this past Wednesday, your pastor and our intrepid group of Bible students wrestled mightily with today's parable about the widow and the unjust judge. But I have to say, even after an hour or so of discussion, we came away with as many questions as answers. Yes, we get the message about the importance of being persistent in prayer, like the widow, Yes, we understand that like the widow, we often don't get the justice we seek in this world, but must nevertheless continue to have faith in God and persevere. But even so, we were troubled by one basic question seemingly unanswered by Jesus. If, unlike the unjust judge, our God is in fact all-loving and all-powerful, why doesn't God grant justice now to those who, like the widow, suffer in the present world? Why does God make those who are the victims of injustice wait and wait and wait for relief from their troubles? Why do our prayers for justice, even when offered persistently, sometimes seem to fall on deaf ears? Well, I want to take a run at responding to this very good question by starting with a joke, and a corny joke at that. Heavy rains inundate a small town. A man who lives in town climbs onto the roof of his house to escape the torrents of water. As the waters rise, a neighbor in a rowboat pulls alongside the house and tells the man to get in. No, replies the man on the roof, the Lord will save me. As the waters continue to rise, a firefighter shows up in a speedboat. Climb in, shouts the firefighter. No, replies the man on the roof, the Lord will save me. Finally, a helicopter appears and the pilot shouts that he will lower a rope to rescue the man on the roof. No, thank you, says the man, the Lord will save me. Eventually, of course, the man drowns. When he gets to heaven, he asks God why he hadn't helped him. God pauses and says, 
I sent a neighbor, a firefighter, and a helicopter. What on earth do you want from me? <laughs> now, the joke is funny, of course, because the poor fellow's simplistic image of God as a superhero blinds him to the ways in which God has already given him what he needs. Rather than intervening directly in the affairs of men and women, Sometimes God invites men and women to look around for ways in which they may be able to help themselves and each other. In the case of today's parable, then, might not God be inclined to turn our question about the persistence of injustice around on us? The question, perhaps, is not why God doesn't do more to answer the widow's cries for justice. The question may be, why don't we? For God has, in truth, given us the tools to feed the hungry, to care for the sick, to meet the needs of those who suffer, and to do justice. And yet, like the self-righteous fool on the roof of his house, rather than using the gifts we have been given to do God's work in the world, we often sit back and wait for God to fix things and then complain when he doesn't. Maybe the prayer we need persistently to pray is this one. God, give me the strength and courage to get off of my butt and help the widows and orphans of this world so that I may become an instrument of your justice. Stated somewhat differently, perhaps the parable is asking us to identify with the unjust judge rather than the widow. Perhaps we're not the ones who are victims of injustice so much as those who are participating in the world's injustice and who need to start listening more attentively to the cries and prayers of those who are hurting. Let me tell another story to illustrate what I mean. When I was starting my legal career in Washington, D.C. in the 1980s, one of the legendary figures of the bar was Edward Bennett Williams, Jr. Williams was the most respected trial lawyer of his day. He made his reputation defending the unpopular, people like Jimmy Hoffa, Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, John Hinckley, Frank Sinatra. But tough as he was, and he was, Williams was also a devout Catholic and a regular parishioner at Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Georgetown. Evan Thomas, Williams' biographer, tells the story of Williams' first meeting with the great Catholic saint Mother Teresa when she was visiting Washington, D.C. in 1986, shortly after I started the practice of law. Evans reports that while Williams was deeply honored to meet Mother Teresa, he was alarmed to hear that the primary purpose of her visit that day was to ask him for money for AIDS relief. At the time, Williams was already a big contributor to Catholic charities, and he was known especially for his commitment to famine relief throughout the world. But one of Williams' flaws as a human being was that he could be a bit of a bigot, and in particular, a homophobe. Williams was reluctant to give money for AIDS relief because he associated the disease 
with a lifestyle he didn't approve of. So the great trial lawyer found himself in a bit of a bind. According to Thomas's account, before the meeting, Williams huddled with his longtime friend and partner, Paul Dietrich. Paul, I'm not quite sure what to do, Williams said. Here I have this great Catholic saint coming to me, but I really don't believe that my money should go to AIDS research when I could be giving it instead for famine relief. So they, as good trial lawyers, they decided upon a strategy. Williams would politely hear Mother Teresa out, but then respectfully decline, saying that the firm had decided to double its usual donation to famine relief. His hope was that so long as the firm was giving generously to a Catholic charity, Mother Teresa couldn't possibly object. So in walks Mother Teresa, this tiny wisp of a woman dressed in her simple habit. And there was the towering Williams, he was a good six, seven, sitting behind his enormous mahogany desk in a $1,000 pinstripe suit with Paul Dietrich by his side. After telling Mother Teresa how honored he was to meet her, Williams let her present her case for AIDS relief. She quietly, but quite passionately, argued that all people who suffer from deadly diseases deserve our compassion, that AIDS was no exception, that Jesus always sided with the outcasts and the ostracized, and so should all good Catholics. And then when she was done, Williams politely said, thank you, Mother Teresa, I respect your work greatly, but we can't help in this particular case because we have already decided to increase our charitable giving for famine relief, a cause that I know is near and dear to your heart. Mother Teresa looked at Williams, then at Dietrich, slowly closed her eyes, folded her hands, and quietly whispered, let us pray. Caught off guard, Williams looked at Dietrich, not quite sure what to do, and then, like the good Catholic boys they were, they closed their eyes and they prayed. When she was finished praying, Mother Teresa then repeated word for word her request for AIDS relief. Sticking to his guns, Williams politely replied, I hear you, Mother Teresa, but I'm afraid we cannot help you. Mother Teresa coolly looked Williams in the eyes, and then once again, she bowed her head, folded her hands, and said, let us pray some more. <laughs> Williams could see that he was trapped by this wise, diminutive nun. Mother Teresa had the stamina and the resolve to remain praying in his office for as long as she needed to. Williams also knew that he dare not and could not kick a beloved saint out of his office. So after Mother Teresa finished her second prayer, Williams turned to Dietrich and said, Paul, hand me my checkbook. Now what makes the story apt is not merely that Mother Teresa's persistence in prayer yielded a just outcome. The story is apt because it also illustrates how persistence in prayer can soften even the hardest of hearts, how it can break down barriers of bias and mistrust, how it can draw us into larger relationships of love 
that transcend our own feeble and often prejudiced perspective. Too many people, I'm afraid, think of prayer as a transaction with God. Yet prayer is not about making a list of what I want and then waiting to see if I get it. Prayer is not deal-making with God. Prayer is not a vending machine. We don't pray to change God, as Luther once put it. We pray to change ourselves. The point of prayer is to help us to become more faithful people, more connected to each other, more open-hearted, more alert to God's presence in our lives, more ready to do God's will rather than our own. In short, what I take away from today's parable is this. There are times when we can make a difference in this world and further God's justice, and when that is the case, we should pray for the courage and the resolve to do so rather than waiting for God to swoop in and fix things. But there are other times when we can't change things, much as we may want to. And in those cases, we must nevertheless prayerfully and faithfully persevere in the face of adversity, trusting in a God who promises in his own way and in his own time to make all things right, to make all things new. Reinhold Niebuhr put it as eloquently as anyone when he penned his justly famous serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.